Our Father, it's good to gather. Thank you for this building to meet in. Thank you for air conditioning. Thank you, Lord, for the people you've gathered in this place and for those watching around the world. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is living and active. And we come humbly before your word this morning, asking your spirit would teach us, encourage us, correct us, shine truth into our lives. Uh, Lord, we don't want to leave here unchanged. And so do a mighty work in us and through us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Whom the Son sets free. You can sing it. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You've got to believe that truth, that if you're in Christ, you have freedom. If you come to Christ and believed in Jesus, you're a child of God and you are set free. You've been set free from sin and suffering and sorrows and pain. You've been set free from bitterness and envy and slander. You've been set free from the fear, the fear of man and the fear of death. It's that beautiful promise of, Romans, of John 8, verse 32. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's a glorious verse, that wonderful promise that when you come to Jesus, you are liberated. You experience freedom in his name. And I think we all long for freedom. We long for the the freedom of the expectations that our society and our family friends put on us, these burdens to be these certain people. We long for freedom from, from the, the power of sin in our life. We, we long for freedom from this fear of death in our life. And that's what's on offer here. Uh, William Barclay helpfully said this, Christian freedom does not mean that you are free to do as you like. It means you are free to do as you ought. So if you come to Christ, if you know the truth, then you are free. You are free to live the lives that you were created to live. You're free to love God and to love others and to love yourself rightly. You are free to serve your God, to obey your God, to honor your God. You've been set free. The truth will set you free. The problem is most people, most of our world think they're already free. Now, we live in a world where we enjoy freedoms. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, free to walk on the beach and enjoy these glorious sunsets. But the Bible insists that without Jesus, unless you know the truth, you're not actually free. Without Christ in your life, you're actually slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to fear. Without Christ in your life, you're actually imprisoned, imprisoned by this constant treadmill of life where you're seeking your purpose and your meaning and your significance and your success in anything and everything, and it's exhausting. And without Christ in your life, you're actually captive, captive to your own sinful desires and captive to your own insecurities. But the promise here is that when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Free to live the most satisfying fulfilling, purposeful life as a child of God, as a son or daughter of the King, loved, cherished, and set free. That's what's on offer this morning. Freedom in Christ. So in John 8, 
And Jesus is debating with these religious Jewish leaders. And just a word of warning, uh, this chapter contains some of the most outrageous, some of the most offensive and blunt truths you will read in the Bible. Uh, Jesus Christ is not your polite dinner party guest. You ever played the game Dinners for Eight? It goes like this, you have an imaginary dinner party and you can invite eight guests of your choosing, dead or alive, famous or family. Who would you choose? It tells you a lot about you as to who you'd, who you'd choose. I would choose the Queen, no surprise there. <laughs> I'd choose uh, Hudson Taylor, Spurgeon, no surprise there. I'd choose either, either Churchill or, or Thatcher, not sure which were those two. I'd choose Mozart. I'd choose Muhammad. I'd choose Gandhi and I'd choose Jesus. That'd be a great dinner party. <laughs> uh, you know, Jesus is, is the most common answer to that question, who would you have at a dinner party? Jesus Christ, they say. And I think that most people think that Jesus will be this polite, pleasant guest. And talking about kindness and compassion and forgive one another. When you read John A, he's not your peacemaker, perfect dinner guest, making polite, pleasant conversation. He calls the religious people here children of the devil. He calls the devout Jews slave to sin. He describes all people as walking in darkness. And then he says the most outrageous truth, that whoever, if you do not believe in him, you will die in your sins and you're heading to hell. So I don't think anyone would leave a dinner party with Jesus thinking, oh, what a nice chap, what a pleasant chap he is. You either love him or hate him. He either inspires or he inflames. When you invite Jesus, you expect fireworks, and you get fireworks in this chapter. Our key verse is verse 31, 32. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, says Jesus. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We've got just two words today. Here's the first word, truth. The truth about Jesus. You will know the truth. Do you know this truth about Jesus? By that word, truth, he is not talking about education. He's not talking about information. He's not talking about a set of rules. Truth is a person, and the person is Jesus. He's not talking that garbage about what is true for you is not true for me, as though truth is relative. Truth is absolute. He said, truth is me. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to know these truths about Jesus and believe them and live them and breathe them. And there are four glorious truths. The first one's in verse 12. The truth that Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of life. Look at verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said this. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. You've got to understand the context here. He's speaking at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Festival of Tabernacles. And that festival was about water and was about light. It was about water because God's people remembered the time when God provided water in the wilderness. And it's about light because they remembered the time when God was their light in the wilderness. Remember the, the cloud by day and the, the fire by night. God led them. He provided. He protected. And at this festival, there'd be these four huge lights. And, and the men would carry these torches and they would dance throughout the night and they would praise and they would sing that, that, that God is the light of the world. And they quote the scriptures like Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. 
And they'd look forward to the Messiah of Isaiah chapter 9. You know, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's what they're looking forward to, the light of the world. And Jesus stands out at the festival of lights. And verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. I will lead you. I am God's presence with you. I am God's protection. I am God's provision. I will shine light into your dark, sinful world. I'll expose error. I'll illuminate the truth. Verse 12, whoever follows me, whoever believes and trusts and walks in my ways will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's a glorious truth that we'll have the light of life, that that Jesus will give us new life, that Jesus will illuminate the best way to live. Jesus will energize our life. He's like a lighthouse, my lighthouse, who is shining in the darkness, warning us, encouraging us, correcting us. You've got to know that truth about Jesus. He's the light of the world. Second truth, he was sent by his Father. He's come from his Father. He's come from heaven. Verse 13, the Pharisees say, who do you think you are? And Jesus says, verse 14, I know who I am. Verse 14, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Down to verse 18. Jesus says, I'm the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. He says the same thing in verse 23. The Father sent me. Verse 25, verse 26, verse 29, the one who sent me. So Jesus says to these religious people that heaven was my home, that, that I, I've enjoyed all eternity in intimacy with my Father, and then God sent me. God sent me from heaven to earth. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord. We celebrate every Christmas the incarnation of Christ, that, that Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, left, left the, the luxuries of heaven, the intimacy with his Father, and he humbled himself to take on human flesh. He came down. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, says John. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if you ask Jesus... Where are you from? He would not say, oh, I'm from Bethlehem, or I'm from Nazareth, or I'm from Galilee. He says, I'm from heaven. I've come down from heaven, sent by my Father. He's going back to the Father. That's a staggering truth of verse 21. Jesus says to the Pharisees, I'm going away. Not going on holidays, not lastminute.com to Galilee. I'm going away. I'm going to leave this world. And verse 21, you will look for me, not, not look for Jesus. They will, the Jewish people will keep on looking for the Messiah as they are today, sadly. They'll keep looking for the Messiah, not realizing that the Messiah had to be crucified. And Jesus tries to tell them that in verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. In John's gospel, that, that phrase, lifted up, it doesn't mean lift him up in a worship song. It means lift him up on the cross. He's going to carry a cross. 
And, and Jesus says, I, I know I know where I'm going. I know I'm going to climb that hill to Calvary. I know I'm going to have a wooden cross on my shoulder. I know I'm going to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will. And I know I'm going to be crucified. I know that the freedom that I'm going to bring is going to come at a price. A barbaric, cruel, agonizing death. That's the truth about Jesus. He is the light of the world who came from the Father. He's going back to the Father via the cross. Because he is one with his Father. He is fully God. In John 8, there's this beautiful submission within the Trinity. Like like a child who always wants to honor his dad, like a dad who delights in his son. Do you see that in verse 48? Jesus says, verse 49, rather, I I am not demon-possessed. I honor my Father. I honor my Father, but you dishonor me. Or down to verse 54, if I glorify myself, my, my glory means nothing. My Father, who you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. There's this, this intimacy, this, this, this union between the Father and the Son. The Son seeks to honor the Father, and the Father glorifies the Son because they are one. They are God. And that's there in black and white in verse 58. Very truly, I tell you, says Jesus, before Abraham was born, here it is, I am. I am who I am. The word for God, the word for Yahweh. If anyone ever asks you or says to you, oh, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Just take them to verse 58. It's there in black and white. He did claim to be God. And if that is not true, there's a blasphemous claim and they are quite right to pick up their stones to kill him. Jesus, I am God. Imagine the shock at your dinner party. Muhammad doesn't claim to be God. He claims to be a prophet. Gandhi doesn't claim to be God. He claims to be godly. But Jesus Christ would say, I am God. I am God. I was God. I will always be God. And that truth will set you free. C.S. Lewis said this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing that you cannot and must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the kind of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'll be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman and something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him your Lord and your God. But please, let's not come up with that patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This is the truth you need to know. He is fully God. He he came from the Father. He's going back to the Father. He's the light of the world. So do you know that? Do you believe that? It's called Christology. And it's not boring, it's beautiful. The incarnation, the the crucifixion, the deity, the divinity of Christ. You've got to know who you're worshipping. You ever waved at a complete stranger? I did that this week on Thursday, it was so embarrassing. A lady walking down the street, and I thought she was somebody else. I'm going, hello! And she's thinking, who is that madman? And I completely misread her. And I say that because I think for some of us, it's like... 
we, we, we've got this imaginary Jesus that we are waving at and claiming to worship. We've, we've created this Jesus as to who we want him to be, not who he says he is. He says he is the light. He says he is the truth. He says he's the way. And I, I want to say that too many of us today are not enjoying the freedom that Jesus offers you because you're not really knowing the truth about him. The more you understand who Jesus is, the more you grasp his incarnation and his crucifixion and his divinity and his deity, the more you'll enjoy your freedom. The more you'll love him. That's our second word, the word freedom. Freedom for the followers. And I use that word followers deliberately because that's the word that Jesus used. My disciples, he said in verse 31. Remember that quote, Jesus never wanted fans, he wanted followers. Well, Jesus is talking to fans in verse 31, these Jews who, look at verse 31, it's an interesting verse, the Jews who believed Jesus, not believed in him yet. They don't yet have faith in him, they just believe him. So he's talking to these religious people who know the scriptures, who love the temple, who say their prayers, but they're not yet free because they haven't understood the truth about him yet. And I have to say that's like many people in church. Someone said this, some people sitting in prison, some people sitting in prison believing in Jesus enjoy far greater freedom than some people sitting in church every week. And sadly that is true. Because many people don't yet believe in Jesus. So if you're a follower here, here's some glorious freedoms you can enjoy. Number one, you are no longer a slave to sin. I am no longer a slave to sin. Say it. Say it now. I am no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. You've been set free from the penalty of sin. You've been set free from the power of sin. The penalty has been paid for. The the power of sin has been broken. Yet, 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 Yet sin is still present in my life. And it will remain there until I reach glory. But it does not have a hold over me. I've been set free from that. Look at verse 33. The the Jewish people says, we're Abraham's descendants and we've never been slaves of anyone. They've conveniently forgotten they were slaves to the Egyptians and to the Babylonians and to the Assyrians. How can you say that we should be set free? Here's the the correct verse, verse 34. Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's the reality. Without Jesus, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if you sin, you're a slave. If you're a sinner, you're a slave. Let's play a game. Just raise your hand now. Raise your hand now if you're sinless. Just put up your hand if you're sinless. Sinless. Put up your hand now if you've never sinned. Put up your hand now if you've never told a lie, you've never lusted. Put up your hand now if you've never had an envious thought or a jealous thought or a horrible word. Where's your hands? Because we are sinners. And the Bible says in a very confronting way, if you're a sinner, you're actually a slave to sin until Jesus has set you free from that. That's how sin works. It, it takes you captive It entangles you. And sin worse than that means that you're about to face the wrath of your holy, righteous, just God. 
Like, sure, I'm not as bad as I could be, but I'm not as good as I should be. Because in my heart, there's this propensity to, to gossip and to slander, to be proud and to be arrogant, to be selfish, to be unkind. And sometimes I, I find myself saying things but thinking, where did that come from? It came from my sinful heart. But verse 36 is a beautiful truth. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. No longer a slave to sin. Here's how it works. You've been set free from the penalty of sin. You've been set free from that price that you should pay for your sin because Jesus paid it all and all to him you owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. Justice demands... Justice demands that a price is paid for your sin. Well, Jesus paid it. And if you believe that, it would be unjust for God to ask you to pay any more. You've been set free from that burden. You do not face the penalty for your sin. Let's play another game. I call this game Pay pay for Your Own Sins. The game goes like this. Every day you walk through life thinking... Have I done enough good to pay for all the bad stuff I've done? Have I done, done enough good today to pay for all that gossip and for that slander, of that lust? That's how the game works, except it's not a game. That's how most of our world lives, thinking that if they've done enough good things, it will outweigh the bad things, that they'll be okay with God. That's called religion. Do, 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 do. But Jesus comes, and he liberates you from that burden He liberates you from that guilt because your sin was laid onto his shoulders. As he was lifted on that cross, your debt was paid. It is paid in full, paid entirely by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has has no what? Has no hold on me and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So friends, why? Why do you walk around carrying this burden for the guilt of your sin as though Jesus has not paid for it? Why are you so entrapped and imprisoned by this thing called guilt? Because if you're a believer in Christ, it's been paid for at Calvary. You've been liberated and set free from that. There should be a lightness in your step as you repent of your sins. A lightness because the burden is gone. I love the story of the boy who accidentally killed one of his family geese. They had 25 geese, and this boy was throwing stones and actually killed one. But he thought he would get away with it. He thought, I could bury the goose. Got 24 others I never noticed, except for his pesky little sister, who saw him kill the goose. And so the sister said, I saw what you did, but I won't tell mum if you do the dishes for me every night of the week. So week after week after week, this poor boy was doing the dishes until one night he said, I'm not doing this anymore. And his sister said this. She said, I'll tell tell mum. I'll tell mum what you did. And the boy looked at him and said, it's okay. I've already told her. And she's forgiven me. And the burden's gone. Do the dishes yourself. You see... When you come to the cross, you say, the burden has been paid. The price has been paid. I'm free. I don't walk around feeling this guilt at my sin. I've been set free from that. Too many Christians are weighed down by past, present sins. 
Lead them to the cross. You're not a slave to sin. You are free from not just the penalty, but the power of it. You have freedom to do what you ought to do. Freedom to, to live a life which is pleasing to God. Freedom to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And freedom to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. How do you do that? I love seeing Christians who are just... They're born again. There's this freshness in their eyes and a lightness in their step because they understand that they don't have to live this sinful life anymore. That's what Jesus tells us. Verse 47, who belongs to God, hears what God says. We can sit under the word of God and say, yes, this is the right way to live. I want to live this way. It's not just a scripture, you've got the Holy Spirit, the living waters within you who empowers you and equips you to fight your sin. And when you're tempted, you say, get behind me, Satan. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can say yes to God and say no to sin. So I want to say you can be free. Free from bitterness. Free from envy. Free from jealousy. Free from regret. Free from lust. Free from lies. I'm not saying you're perfect. To the day you die, sin will be present. But you've got everything you need to fight it. So you're no longer a slave to sin. And you're no longer afraid of death. That's your freedom. You do not fear death. How does the song go? No guilt in life, no fear in death. That's the power of Christ in me. Look at verse 51. Another very truly statement. Jesus says these words. Very truly, amen, amen, truly, truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word, look at it, will never see death. Now, he's not saying that you will not die physically. He's not saying you won't suffer a debilitating disease or sickness, but he is saying that your physical death is not the end. You'll never die spiritually. You'll have a new body and a new life. It's called eternal life. Death is not the end. And that's why Christians face death differently, don't we? You've been to a Christian funeral? It's a great celebration because they've got new life. I heard this week about a man who is dying of a brain tumor. He's 60, leaving behind three or four kids. And he's chosen to take this time just to celebrate who Jesus is with his kids and talk about the hope and the joy and the peace that he's got as, he, as he's facing eternity. Remember Mark Ashton, who was diagnosed with the gallbladder cancer, who wrote the amazing paper on the way to heaven. He wrote this, the oncologist estimated I might have six to nine months to live. But I said to the surgeon when he broke the news that what he just told me was, for me, a Christian believer, not bad news, but good news. It wasn't the end of my story, just the beginning. And I saw an imaginary speech bubble appear above his head saying, this man is in total denial. But no, I've lived 62 years, a very happy life on this earth. And for over 40 years of those, Jesus Christ has been my Lord and my Savior. I have no regrets. God has done all things well, and I believe he's doing this thing well too. And he talks about the resurrection of Christ and his new body, because death is not the end. It's extraordinarily liberating. The opposite is horrific. Dying without Christ is horrific. I hate doing unbelievers' funerals. Uh, Jesus is blunt to warn the people here. 
verse 21, he says, you will die in your sin. Same in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, that I am God, says Jesus, you will indeed die in your sins. And that is an unpalatable truth that you need to believe. That without Jesus, people will pay the price for their own sins. Without Jesus Christ, they'll face God on judgment day without a saviour and they're heading for hell. And I do not say that lightly. You know my family background. I don't say that lightly. Can you imagine Jesus at your dinner party saying that? If you don't follow me, you're facing death and judgment and hell. I guess at this point you're out in the kitchen praying that he'd shut up. But he's right. It's one of the beautiful truths about Christianity that we don't fear death. The urgency to tell people that, that with Jesus, death is not the end. There is eternal life. And if you know this truth about Jesus, that this body of mine is just a tent, a decaying, failing body, but it's just a tent. I've got my new body to come. This is as good as it gets, my new body in heaven. D.L. Moody wrote this. Someday you'll read in the papers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tent into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, and a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born in the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh will die, but that which is born of the spirit will live forever. You've got to be set free from the fear of death. You've got to be set free from the slavery of sin. And the third freedom is this, that you get to call God your Father. You have the freedom to approach the heavenly, all-powerful, almighty, all-glorious God and call him what? Call him Father. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. That's the identity that you have a relationship with God as your Father. You enjoy the privilege of being called a child of God. And again, the opposite is deeply offensive. If you're not a child of God, then who are you? Well, according to Jesus, you are a child of the devil. Verse 44, you belong to your father, the, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a murderer because he robbed Adam and Eve of all spiritual life. He, he cut them off from the tree of life. He's a liar. Verse 44. He always lies. Did God really say? That's not true, says, says the devil. That's, that's our problem. Without Christ, we, we listen to the lies of this world. But with Christ, you can say, God is my father, and I am a precious son and daughter of his. I belong to him, verse 47. I belong to God. I'm part of his family, verse 35. I belong to his family. I'm loved. I'm honored. I'm cherished. So do you enjoy that freedom? Do you live each day enjoying this freedom? Do you come to God each day as your father saying, my father in heaven, daddy in heaven? Do you come to God as your father saying, thank you, father? Do you ask your father for things? Now, Jesus says, if our earthly fathers know how to give us good things, how much more will our heavenly father give us what? Give us the Holy Spirit. Do you trust him as a father? Do you depend on him as a father? Do you delight on him as a father? Do you love him as a father and enjoy him as a father? 
See, religion is not freedom. Religion is not freedom. But a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, when you know the truth, you've been set free. Free from slavery to sin. Free from the fear of death. And that freedom, that freedom to call God your Father. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let me pray. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And if you can say it, just under your breath say, I am a child of God. I'm a child of God, yes I am. Oh Lord Jesus, I want to praise you that you are the light of this world. I want to praise you, you did come down from your Father. You, are, you did go back to your Father through that horrific, humiliating cross. And you did that for us to set us free. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom we enjoy, freedom from that guilt and from the power of sin in our life, freedom from that fear of death, and that freedom just to call you our our loving Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord Jesus, you'd help each of us here in this room and online throughout the world to to enjoy that freedom, to enjoy the freedom of calling you Father. And I ask that for Jesus' sake.